Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. All right, I've been on a I've been on a series now for a little bit called Ecclesia, God's version of the church, and I'm on a mission to really just help us to to catch an upgraded perspective on the church and and to and to learn how to see it at a higher level from our spiritual perspective instead of measuring it from human perspective because when we measure it from human perspective it is very inferior to who it really is okay and so i'm just i've been doing this stuff for a while now uh, for the last few weeks and i just want to keep going into this and i I don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna quit when i feel like god said we're that we've reached the place he's ready for it and we're not there yet so and and also if you weren't here last sunday I know some of you tried to watch online, and, and we apologize for the, the, the live streaming messed up on you. Um, thankfully, Dennis was able to find a, a recording, the, uh, an audio recording that succeeded, hallelujah, because I thought we lost that whole thing. I, I, if we would have lost that, that message was important enough to me that I was going to come in here and re-record it just to give you an option to watch it. So if you didn't hear it, like, I hope that gives you an indication. Like, I think you should go back and listen to it so you, can, so you can see that information, that revelation that I was trying to share in context with the big picture of what I'm speaking on. Because I've actually been in Matthew 16. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, um, I've been building line on line, precept on precept with this text. Um, and before I dive in here, I, I want to just say this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? I, I, I just want to I want to speak to your spirit for a second, and I want to speak to your spirit to just to bring your alertness in and to pay attention to the spirit of the words I'm about to say. Um, the, if I hit everything I'm thinking I'm going to, this message might run some risks of there being some nuances that, don't, that I don't have time to cover in this message that could raise questions for people that might not get covered. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you to try to understand the heart and the spirit of what I want to say in case there's anything I say that's going to make you think, well, what if so-and-so? What if so-and-so? Like, just try to get the heart of this, okay? Um, let me pray for us real quick, actually. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask you to open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, and open the ears of our spirits and help us, Lord, to really hear what you're wanting to say through this, Lord, and, and, and just help people to have discernment on what is you and, and what was me, Lord, and help people, Lord, to, if, if I'm saying things that might challenge perspectives and you're in the challenge, I pray that you'll help people um, to open their hearts to be challenged. But, but help us to hear what you're saying this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, open it up to Matthew 16, and uh, we're going to get back into the same passage that I've been on for a couple of weeks. We're gonna, I'm going to start this time on verse 16 and read through 19 here. 
So this was this was when Jesus said, what do people say I am? Or who do people say I am? And they're like, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus like, well, who do you say I am? And so Simon Peter answered, and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you heard me say that over and over and over. I want you guys to say that with me. You are the... Christ, the Son of the living God. Say it one more time. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and that is one of the most basic things that we might think of in Christianity. But Jesus goes on and he, he actually explains that that revelation is actually the very basic elemental thing that he needs to build his church on, okay? And I've been, I've been talking about this. So after, after Peter declares that to Jesus, Jesus answered and he said, Simon, so he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How many of you guys know that, that flesh and blood or just your, your carnal mind can understand and perceive things, but it can only understand things that are in the natural your carnal mind cannot actually understand kingdom truth you guys you guys understand that but but by the spirit of god and and by the father himself he can actually open the eyes of our understanding in a spirit level to understand things of the kingdom that human wisdom cannot perceive okay you guys all understand that right so Jesus is actually saying that when, when you just told me that I'm the Christ or I'm the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised Messiah, right? That, that when, when you said that to me and that I am the son of the living God, there's no way that you could have humanly came up with that. that you only got to understand that, not by Sunday school. They didn't have Sunday school yet that was teaching Jesus, right? So that, that he didn't have somebody teaching him that. It came by divine revelation. And I want to say that Jesus wants to reveal himself to every single one of us at a deeper level. God wants to give us revelation at a spirit level to where your spirit gets in connection with who God is. All right? And so he's saying only my father could have shown you this. And then he proceeds. He says, I say to you also that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Come on. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so I've been, I've been going deep on this stuff, and I've been talking about how, how the, the revelation of Jesus being the son of the living God, the Messiah, it's the revelation that actually is the rock, the solid foundation that Jesus comes and he gets on that thing, and he's like, I'm in agreement with this. You're in agreement with me. I have this. This I can build my church on. And so uh, we, we can judge churches and we can, we can say, well, that doesn't look like what, the, what acts look like because they do such and such. That doesn't look like that. And we're like, that's just Western Christianity. That's just, that's just modern church. Is it really the church? Well, if you, if you can get down to the spirit of it and the people who are coming together have a true spiritual revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, then that's the foundation and Jesus has his church. Come on. 
And I've been talking about this because I've been trying to challenge us that, that when we get judgmental about what churches should be and what they shouldn't be and which church is right and which one isn't, does this look like what God really wants? Well, when God looks in there in the spirit and he sees what's really there in the spirit level and he's like, I agree with this and that's enough for me to build my entire church upon, then we need to celebrate that place. And not judge it, not be critical of one another. Just because things look different than us doesn't mean that it's not God building his church, amen? So, so that's what I've been kind of hanging out on. And so, but I want to I take it to the next level today. <clears throat> in the, in the, the Passion Translation, some people love it, some people hate it. I like it, and it's good. <laughs> and, I, and I trust that guy, all right? So, but anyway, there's a note in there on this passage. And it says the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it means legislative assembly. It also means the selected ones or the chosen ones. This is not a religious term at all, but a political and governmental term that is used many times in classical Greek for, for a group of people who have been summoned and gathered together to govern the affairs of a city. All right, once you guys repeat this with me, all right? The ecclesia is a group of people summoned and gathered together to govern the affairs of a city. All right, so that is the natural, that's the, that's the human level description of what ecclesia was, all right? So that, that was before there was actually what we call the church. That was just in the natural world. But Jesus came, and he's saying, I'm actually going to build, it's not going to be the church of the world, the earthly government. It's my government, all right? I'm going to build my church, okay? And so this, what this note from, from uh, Brian Simmons continues. He says, for Jesus to use this term, ecclesia, means that he is giving the keys of governmental authority in his kingdom to the church. Whoa. So I'm going to have you guys repeat that just so you can kind of process that again, all right? Say this, Jesus is giving the keys of governmental authority in his kingdom to the church. So who is he giving the authority of his kingdom to? The church. <laughs> all right? So that's what, that's what Brian Simmons is explaining about this passage when it talks about the ecclesia. And by the way, this is the first place in the entire New Testament where the word ecclesia shows up. I think it's amazing that the first time it shows up, Jesus is prophesying about this thing he's going to build. And it's one of the most dynamic passages in the Bible about victory and power. All right? That's awesome. I, I really like that. And so I'm going to read a note I took uh, a couple years ago when I was studying this stuff. <clears throat> and I, I actually read this last week, but some of you weren't here. And those of you who were, you probably can't remember it. So I'm going to do it again. All right. The same way that it took the Father to reveal that Jesus, the flesh and blood man that the disciples knew, right? That he revealed Jesus, that he was actually the Christ, the son of the living God, who is actually, you got to know him as a spirit man at this point, right? So it's an el the revelation takes you from seeing him in the flesh to seeing who he really is in the spirit. Okay? It's the same, way, the same way that God gave that revelation of Jesus. That's the same way that we, that we need to see the church as God sees it. 
So we need, to, we need to elevate, we need the spirit of God to help us to stop perceiving the church from our carnal nature, our flesh, our, our human ideas about what institutions should look like or what they do look like. And we gotta get revelation where you see it from the spirit level, deeper than the exterior stuff that humans have maybe put around the exterior of it, like see inside of it. And so we, we talk a lot about how God wants us to, he wants to give us the spirit of prophecy to where we can see past the surface, the things that are obvious, and to see in the spirit what's in there. Not the dirt, but we're going gold mining. We've got to look deeper than the dirt because you don't need Holy Ghost to show you the dirt. But you need the Holy Spirit to show you the gold in there so you can reach it and extract it and mine that thing out. And then when you do that, it actually helps the, the outward manifestation of inward realities that become revealed. Okay? So, are you guys good? All right. I, I'm, I'm feeling like you're good this morning. I like this. All right. All right, so most people are viewing the church through the eyes of flesh and blood. And when I say most people, I mean most Christians are viewing the church through the eyes of flesh and blood, okay? And completely missing what Jesus sees in there. <laughs> the body of Christ, I want you to listen to this close. The body of Christ is not the fleshy thing people tend to assume is the church. Okay? It is the spirit of the body of Christ is what Jesus looks at and what he sees. <laughs> He's looking deeper than the stuff that we, have, that we judge, okay? And 2 Corinthians 5.16 is a powerful verse. 5.17, the next verse, says that we have become new creations and, and all old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. So in Christ, like he actually completely um, crucified our old human sinful nature. And that died with Jesus. But then through salvation, through being born again, we've, we entered into the resurrection of Jesus Christ into a new life. And so all old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. New creations. That should be exciting. <laughs> like you don't have that old thing anymore, okay? But, but we have to understand that the, 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 when Christ did this, like he, he, he wants us to understand that's how we should look at one another too. Like it's one thing for me to be able to celebrate my victory in Christ. It's a whole other thing for me to look at somebody else and be able to celebrate that in them too. And, and really, it takes the ability to see in the Spirit, from the Spirit, when you see somebody who's acting all out in the flesh, and you're like, well, you, just, you don't even look like you got transformed. Well, you can focus on that, or you can ask God to show you what he calls truth. The truth is, if they've been born again, the old sinful nature actually died with Jesus Christ, and he resurrected them in Christ and gave them a new nature. And if we, if we keep talking about what, like the behaviors, like if we, if we think we are who, if we think we are what we do or what we did, we're just going to keep doing the same things over and over. Okay? If we, if we believe that Christ has done a, a work in us that's way beyond where my actions currently are and I, I start functioning from that instead, 
then my behaviors are going to catch up to my belief about who I am because we behave according to who we believe we are. You guys awake this morning? So, but we need to get so good at at this revelation that that we start to perceive each other in the same way. I'm not going to choose to believe that that person who's fleshing out right now, that that's actually who they are. I'm going to see with my spirit and choose to perceive that person as somebody who's been fully redeemed by Jesus Christ, and he, he made them born again. He gave them a new nature, and it's the nature of God himself within that person. And instead of judging them by their current action and attitude, I need to start judging them by the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ and then calling that out of them because when we bring their attention to who they truly are, it helps remind them, oh yeah, I'm functioning from a wrong nature right now. (laughs) I could stop the sermon right now and it would have been awesome. Like if if we would actually do that thing. Okay, but that's not what I'm focusing on. Let's take... A step back to 2 Corinthians 5.16, the previous verse, it says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Whoa. <laughs> That's, that, like, Paul's actually thinking that this is who we, like, how we function. Like, he's assuming that you guys are on board with him on this, and he's saying, from now on, we don't even regard one another after the flesh. Sorry to tell you, Paul, but I think some of us still do that. But he's trying to call us up higher into, into a higher level way of believing about one another. Where we're not regarding each other after the flesh, after the external behaviors, but we're going to see each other deeper. Because it goes on, it says, even now we have known Christ according to the flesh. Sorry, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, that was like before they had the revelation. But now we know him thus no longer. Because we know Jesus after the Spirit. Jesus is not just the man who walked around on this earth for 33 years. He's actually the the son of the living God, the Messiah himself. So we we see him from the spirit, and we don't judge him by just the limitations of his humanity, humanity, but we see deity in him. Well, we need to be able to look at each other and stop seeing the the limitations of how each other's acting and see the gold, the the Holy Ghost gold in each other, the finished work of the cross gold in each other, the new nature gold in each other, the new creation of Jesus Christ in each other, and then call that out and start talking to each other like who we actually really are. Most people aren't walking around believing that about themselves. But I want to tell you that when a person who's not believing that about themselves and somebody else comes along who genuinely does believe that about themselves and they talk to them according to that, guess what that does? It's like it perks them up and it's like, whoa, that felt good. Whoa, that's not just flattery. I think they're actually telling me who I really am. And then it starts helping them to start believing higher about themselves. Like Jesus believes higher about us. We should agree with what he thinks, shouldn't we? And so, what about the church? (laughs) What about the church? How do we perceive the church? Because he wants us to see it the way he sees it. All right, so whatever flesh and blood would reveal to you that the church is, like if if you're 
flesh, like your, your human reasoning is going to show you things about the church, like whatever those things are that you perceive about the church from your flesh, guess what? Those things would not be able to withstand the gates of Hades. <laughs> I hope you guys are going to track with me. This might get a little deep. But the... But, but when we perceive things from the flesh, like whatever those things are that you're looking at from the flesh, that's flesh stuff. And that flesh stuff cannot withstand hell. Okay? The man-made stuff, the, the religion and the form, the programs, whatever. If, if Jesus was not in the midst of it, in his spirit, and building that stuff out because he's doing it, but it was just human made and God wasn't involved, that's not actually what Jesus calls the church. And those things cannot withstand the gates of hell. However, that's, that, that's not to make us get disappointed <laughs> because inside that is the true church. And inside that, where the true church is in the spirit that Jesus is building, guess what? It actually can withstand the gates of hell. Hallelujah. So we need to know who we truly are as the church. Okay? We, we need to understand from a spirit level, from a revelation level, see it the way God sees it. It's actually far greater than, than we tend to perceive the church to be. All right? So just a couple of reminders here. The church is built upon the solid rock of the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's fundamental. It's basic. But it's everything he needs because that's the, where the real stuff is. All right? And, and so that foundation is unshakable. The foundation, if we build on that, on that foundation, it is unshakable. And, and the foundation that believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If you think about it, and you read through the book of Acts, where the, the, the early church started, right? If you really think about it, every single person that God used to build his church were people who actually used to not know who Jesus was. They were people who did not know who Jesus was, but came into the revelation because most of those people were either, they were either religious in the old covenant or, or heathens, right? Heathens. And, and then you go to other countries and there's like paganism and stuff that, that where the gospel spread. But most of the people, actually all the people who came into the church and then helped grow the church were people who formerly did not know who Jesus was. But the Holy Spirit, through the gospel and opening the eyes of the people, they perceived, whoa, the, the, the Christ is alive. He's the son of the living God and he's here. And so they, the, the eyes become open and they give their lives over to the Messiah and then Jesus is growing his church. Okay, and even today, like like here, it's it's harder to understand that stuff in right here in America, where we've been taught about Jesus, the Messiah, all our lives and stuff. But but it doesn't take away from the power of the reality of this. When Jesus sees that you have true faith in Him, that He's the Christ, the Son of the Living God, that is everything to Him. 
How many of you guys believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? That is everything to God. That's a big deal. If we have different Christians around us and we have different ways of doing church, okay, do we have that in common? Yes, good. Then we're the church and we can knit our hearts together and have unity on this one thing. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Muslims, like, like, that's one of the most basic revelations that Jesus will give to them. And sometimes people have those dreams. You know, the man in white, they don't even know who it is, but God leads them to somebody and they say, oh, well, that's Jesus. And then they have to come to this term, oh, Jesus, he is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And when they come to that revelation, their lives become completely transformed and set free from demonic bondage of Islam. And they even do it to the degree of knowing that they might die or lose their families over this. But that one revelation, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, should be the thing that changes everything for us. And Jesus is the foundation of his church. It says it in 1 Corinthians 3.11. He is the foundation. So when we can see him for who he truly is, guess what? He's got what he needs. He's got his foundation to build his church on. All right? All right, so Jesus said, I will build my church. There's there's a few things to say right there, and I I hit on these. I'm going to just say them fast. I will build my church. First of all, I will build my church. When Jesus said that, it was future tense. It hadn't happened yet. There wasn't even a church in existence yet when Jesus said this. I will build my church. Happened a little later on the day of Pentecost, the birthing of the ecclesia. All right, so I will build my church. And then he says, I will build my church. Who will build his church? Jesus. So, it's, so Jesus is actually the one who's the one who's building his church. We need to understand this, especially as we came here to plant Overflow Church, and we've been working to build this thing, right? We need to understand in the spirit level, even though we're doing things to partner with God to, to make this church happen, we need to understand from our spirits, from a revealing level, that it literally is truly, it's Jesus Christ who's the one who's actually building the church. He needs our hands. He needs our obedience. He needs our voice. He needs our yielding and our commitment, our surrender, and our unity to make it happen. But, but in the spirit, it's actually him who's doing the work of building this thing. Let's give him a praise for that. Come on. Yeah. And then, and then he says, I will build my church. Who, whose church is he building? It's Jesus. So we need to understand this is actually his church. It's not our church. It's our church collectively because we're in his family, so it's our church. But, tech, but really, it's his church. Which, what does that mean? That means we need to give it the honor that's due to it. If it's his church, we should never be slandering his stuff. We have no right to be talking down on God's stuff. It's his, and he built it. And if we're going to say, well, this is no good, or this isn't that, or whatever, like, who are we to say? He's the one who's building stuff. I'm talking about you get down to the spiritual, fundamental part of what church is. All right? I'm not talking about the programs and the, the, the fans on the stick that you wave in your hair. That was back in the old days, right? Before we had AC. 
And it's not, it's not all that stuff, although that comes with it, but you look at the Spirit inside it. It's His church, and we cannot knock it. All right? You guys all right? All right, I'm going to proceed. There's so many things. But uh, I want to, all right, a note from my, my Bible right here. I wrote it down here a few years ago. I like those notes because those come with revelation. I wrote this. <clears throat> this is Jesus' church, and it's his job to build it. It's our job to create space for him to be able to do that. So we have a responsibility to do things, but, but really what we're trying to do is create a landing pad for God to come on so he can do what only he can do. <laughs> when we're faithful to do our part, he's more than faithful to do his part. Okay, It's his church. And, and I said this, if Hades' gates prevail against the church, it probably is not actually the work of Christ happening in the church. If the, I'm not saying if Satan is trying to attack you, like he's going to try to do that because he hates us. So I'm not saying that. Like there's spiritual warfare. That's a real thing. I said if the gates of Hades prevail, that means it's winning. If, if Satan's winning in a battle against, his, against the church, it probably wasn't actually Jesus building the stuff that we're trying to do that Satan is winning on. Okay, those are those nuances I was saying about earlier. Pondering, good. Okay. I, I want to I remind us of a few weeks ago, I was preaching out of Revelation 12, and we talked about the red dragon and that Satan's arch enemy is not actually Jesus, because that's no match. His arch enemy is the church. And we are his biggest threat. And so he, what he wants to try to do is get, he wants to do everything he can to disarm the church or belittle us or condemn us or whatever he can do to try to cripple us so that we're not standing on our feet as who we really are. Because he knows that if we are in our full form, he stands no chance. But he can stand a chance if he can get deception or some kind of crippling action on us. But we need to know who we are, guys. We need to know who the church is. We, we, we need to not belittle it. And we need to, in, in our own hearts and in our, our confession out of our mouths, because the power of life and death is in the tongue, we, don't wanna, we need to not be speaking against the church. We, that doesn't mean that there's no room to bring correction where correction is needed and, and all that. Like, yes, there, there, there's probably a lot of correction that needs to come to a lot of the body of Christ. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's not actually his church. It just means order needs to be brought. <clears throat> all right? <laughs> okay. There's, there's popular moments in the sermon. There's not popular parts. It's fine. I, I'm not worried. Jesus didn't care what people said, and all of them left him. And he's like, you guys leaving me too? I'm just joking. All right, think, I want to I hit on this part of the verse. The gates of Hades will not prevail. 
All right, the gates of Hades will not prevail. There's a lot of different theological thought on what the gates of Hades are. And, and the two primary ways that you can interpret that, I'm going to just say them real quickly here. One is, is actually the satanic kingdom. Okay, and, and so all the plans and schemes of the enemy and the, the demonic alliance against God's church, the gates of hell. And then there's another concept that the gates of Hades, it actually says Hades, which Hades was kind of like the, the grave spot for souls to go to um, after you die. Um, and that was, that was like before like God has heaven ready for us for eternity, right? So it's like a resting place, and, and it's, you're either going to end up in hell or heaven, but, but Hades is the holding, holding spot. And so some people are interpreting this passage as the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church, meaning that death won't, won't even be powerful enough to stop God's kingdom from expanding. Even the death of Jesus Christ. He, he resurrected on the third day, and then he started his church. And guess what? You read the Bible, and people got martyred, and did that stop the church? No, it actually caused the church to escalate in growth. So the gates of Hades will not prevail. You're like, death can't even stop it. I like that. But I, I still personally subscribe to the gates of Hades being the satanic kingdom. And it actually says... Um, in, in Hebrews 2.14, it actually talks about Satan who had the power of death before, but Jesus crushed him and took that power back. Hallelujah. Amen. So even if you want to call like death, like, or like Hades, just simply death, what well, still is connected to Satan and his demonic kingdom because he's the one who ruled it. So it still works. It still is the same. All right. You guys, you guys okay? I'm getting heady with you, right? All right. The gates of Hades will not prevail. I believe this is talking about the satanic kingdom. The, the, you and I and the church are his arch enemy, and he hates us, and he wants to see us crushed, all right? But we know who wins. Who wins? Jesus. Who else wins? We do. Are you guys like, <laughs> that is like you're like, we do, we do. Our, like, we're talking about crushing Satan. You're saying, we do. Like, no, we do. <laughs> we crush the devil. Come on, let's get a locker room roar going in here. We crush the devil. Okay. The gates of Hades. I used to read that. And think that Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. And I would read that and I'd think, man, yeah, so Satan's going to try to come and he's going to attack the church, but he ain't going to win. And I know that's true. But in the context of what Jesus is saying right here, that's not even what he's saying. Okay, this, isn't, this is not just saying that Satan and his demons are going to try to come against the church and they're not going to win. Because you got to think about this. What is a gate? A gate does not go attack people. Okay? A gate, is you, have you ever seen a gate go attack somebody before? I never have. I've never seen a gate go do anything. It stays right where, where it is. Okay, a gate is actually, uh, it's a structure that's built to support a fortress or a fortified city. 
So the whole point of it is to self-protect, all right? So a gate is not an offensive structure where you're on the offense attacking. It's a defensive structure, which means it's trying to protect from an attack. So that's completely different stances we're talking here, all right? So when Jesus says, I'll build my church on this rock and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, it doesn't mean that the gates of Hades are going to come and attack it, and, and, but it's not going to win. It actually means the gates of Hades are trying to protect itself from you. <laughs> okay, the, the hell in this, in this context right here, hell is on the defense, but the church is on the offense. Come on. That's what Jesus believes about his church. He looks at his church in the spirit and he's like, you are so powerful that you're going to crush Satan and his kingdom and it won't be able to prevail against you. Come on, it's not even in question. He's not like, I'm going to build my church on this rock, and there might be times when you may make it through. <laughs> he, he's, no, there are no conditions on this except one, and that's being part of the church. The gates of Hades will not prevail. What do you mean the gates of Hades won't? Oh, no, it means that when, you, when the church comes and presses against it, it's not going to be able to withstand the force you bring against it. <clears throat> Come on, guys. So the church is the one on the offense attacking the gates of Hades, not the other way around. When we attack the gates of Hades, it will not prevail against us, but we will prevail against it. All right, this is not Satan attacking the church. All right, I'm, I'm repeating. It's the church coming against Satan. And it's not, like, you got to think about this. The gate, what is the gate doing? It's protecting the city, right? It's protecting the city from enemies coming in and overtaking it. Why in the world would we have this perspective on here? Jesus wants his church to be pressing into the domains where Satan has set up principalities. And, and like there's resistance against the kingdom of God. Like it's his church that he's actually sending us into those places so that we can bring the, the offense of heaven. And, the, and hell will not be able to prevail against it. It's not going to be able to last the resistance of it. And what's going to happen? It's going to fall over. It's going to get crushed. Now, do we just stop there? Oh, well, thank God we just, took, we just took the gates down. Let's go back home and get back to our business. No, the, why, would a, why would an army do that? It's so they can crush the wall and then occupy the land. So it's, it's overtaken the domain that he was occupying, all right? So you, you take this Mar, or Matthew 16 passage and put it in contact with Mac, Matthew eleven twelve. Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. I've always thought that was a powerful verse. 
but it always also used to feel weird to me. Why is the kingdom of heaven suffering? Like, I didn't think the kingdom of heaven suffers, but it says it suffers violence. I don't understand that. So I decided one day to look into it a little deeper, and I realized that that's actually a pretty sucky translation. <laughs> Sorry if you didn't like that word. I forgive you. <laughs> forgive me if you need to. All right. The, the true Greek does not say suffers violence, okay? It, it, the, the, it's, the idea of suffering violence would be a, like you suffer from violence in a passive victim experience that somebody's having, okay? And from somebody else's violence. But no, it's, it's not a passive word. It's actually a proactive word, okay? And it, and it actually means that you are the one who is causing the violence. You're not suffering violence. You're causing violence, it's a Greek word, biazo, and it means to inflict violence. So it means we are on the offense, not on the defense. Once you, once you make that declaration with me, I am on the offense, not the defense. Say it again. I'm on the offense, not the defense. The church is on the offense, not the defense. All right. Pretty good. And then that word, take it by force, is the Greek word harpazo, and it means to seize, to catch up, to snatch away, okay, to spoil, to take the spoils. It, it literally means to seize upon something with force and to rob it, which is to be differentiated from a, the concept of sneakily stealing something. It's, it's not that. It's actually boldly going in and taking all of it by force. Amen. All right. So, so in other words, that, that verse that I said, the, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It, you, you could actually see it like this. The kingdom of heaven is inflicting violence on the gates of hell. Okay. And it's, it's violent men. That's talking about us. Like, like, we might not want to be like, oh, you're violent. I hate violent movies. I like the romance movies. Yeah, well, this is talking about, this is talking about you and Satan, not you and each other, okay? Like, it's the violent people are forcefully seizing the spoils of the enemy and then taking occupation. Come on. This is like one of, this is a very victorious message. Jesus builds his church and the gate of, gates of Hades will not prevail. Like Jesus has some pretty high belief in his church. The church is greater than it looks to the natural eye. Who cares if a church has hymnals or not? Is, Jesus, is, is it built on Jesus? Who cares if a church has different programs than you thought? Or maybe they're not doing that thing that you thought they should be. Is it built on Jesus? Because guess what? If it is, the, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against that place. I care a lot more about that than I do the programs and form. The church will expand the domain of Jesus' kingdom. 
the church continues to co-labor with Jesus, it will overtake the fortifications of principalities and crush them. The territory of Jesus' kingdoms, it's, it's the king's domain, right? Kingdom. The territory of Jesus' kingdom will increase and it will crush Satan. It will plunder his kingdom. It will establish the king's domain in that territory. Come on. That's what Jesus is saying. It's good stuff. In Isaiah 9, it prophesies about Jesus, and it says the government will be on his shoulder, and then it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So his kingdom is advancing. Hear me, his kingdom is advancing. And he's using his church to do it. You guys all right? <laughs> it's good stuff. All right, so, so we, we preached recently about out of Revelation 12 and talked about how Satan was in heaven and he had, he had a third of the angels that he deceived, right? And in, in 7 and 8, it says, War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. So in heaven, Satan's kingdom did not prevail against God's kingdom. Sound familiar? Yep. Did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. They got booted out. So we got we to gotta connect this stuff. I, I gave you guys that message a few weeks ago on purpose about Satan, the dragon, and the church, and the warfare, because I wanted to give you kind of a snapshot in advance of what we're going after here. Because we need to understand that Satan hates the church for good reason. Because the church is powerful. Powerful. And God's kingdom is powerful. He could not withstand heaven. And now, down on this earth, Jesus is saying, I will build my church on this rock, and the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail against you. Satan couldn't prevail against God and his angels in heaven, and now he can't prevail against the church on this earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Say that with me. On earth as it is in heaven. All right, we've got to know that this stuff is powerful and, and we're connected to heaven's victory, okay? The, the victory that God had in heaven, he wants to give us that on this earth under the, under the rulership of principalities and powers and demonic spirits. Like he actually gave the church the ability to rise up and build his kingdom. And he gave us the keys of authority from heaven to be able to bring the domain of heaven crush the gates of all the fortifications in this area and take occupation to plunder hell. <laughs> yes, Lord. All right? And so in, in heaven, the demons were cast out. Here, they're cast down. <laughs> and in heaven, after they're cast out, there is no place found for them anymore. Here, when the church functions as it's supposed to, and we prevail against the gates of hell and crush it, then we need to occupy that territory, the domain that he had, becomes God's domain, kingdom. And then he loses his space here too, and there's no place for him anymore. 
Are you guys seeing how this stuff is kind of playing itself out? And so this is the furtherance of God's judgment on Satan. Like he, Jesus already crushed Satan, put him under his feet. He knocked his teeth out. He took the keys of authority back from Satan. And we have our King of kings and our Lord of lords. Yeah. And now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Okay. And it says in, in Hebrews um, 10, 12 through 13, it says that he's, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. He's, wa- he's waiting on his enemies, Satan. He's already crushed him in heaven, okay? But now on earth, he's waiting for the devil to become his footstool. <laughs> Who's going to do it? It's us. It's the church. It's the church, guys. You guys hearing me? This is kind of a big deal. There's incredible promise of protection and utter victory to the church. <laughs> I, need to, I need to bust through a few points here before I wrap up. Give me a few minutes, please. <clears throat> there are conditions, sorry. Yeah. There are conditions for this protection and victory. You, you guys... How many of you guys want to have the protection and the victory that Jesus is talking about? There's conditions for it, and I'm going to extract it from this text, okay? One, we got to remember the context for this prevailing experience is the church, not the individual. We got to understand that the church is to be centered upon the revelation of who the person of Jesus is. Okay? That's a condition. Not centered on itself. And not centered on anything else that runs the risk of not actually being the work of Christ. You know, the man-made religious stuff? That's not the church. That's man-made. The church is what Jesus builds within his people. So it's got to be Jesus-centered, right? Another condition... Jesus is the one building his church, not us. We're co-laboring with him, but it's his work. You guys all right? We gotta we gotta know that it's his church, not ours. Okay. We got here, here's one. This is this is one of the ones that I'm excited to feel the atmosphere of the room on this one. Here's a condition. For this protection and victory. You guys ready? That we are an actual part of his church and not separated from it. As opposed to people who are prodigals, vagabonds, and people who have left the church. I want to tell you that the people who have left the church, we need to pray for those people because they... This, this, is the, this is a covering. The church, church is a covering that protects God's people from demonic power. And when you get outside of the covering, you're exposed. You guys hearing me? Doesn't mean you can't miss a Sunday and then you're like, 
demonically pounded to death. Don't miss two. <laughs> Just joking. If that's the case, I'm in trouble because I'm on vacation next week. But but it do, but but listen, it does. It do, I am talking about like it's not just about your butt in a seat on a Sunday. That's that is part of it. Yes, it is. But but that we're we're knitting our hearts together with the body and actually being a part of the family, not not just showing up in body, showing up in spirit and in heart. The church. How are we doing right now? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. This passage reveals that the protection and victory promised is to the church entity. Jesus did not say, on this rock, I will make Christians, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against those Christians. It's the church. That is, is a, that's, that's one of the conditions to having that protection. You're part of the church. Okay? Amen. There's, as always, there's way more I can say but I have to close. And here's how we're going to close. I, w- I just want to, I want to say that this passage talks a lot about us crushing hell, but hell and the devil is actually not the main focal point. Jesus and his kingdom is. And if we're aligned with Jesus and his kingdom and we are in his church and we're aligned with his church, then we, we have protection against the enemy. And not only is it protection, but, but he actually gives us the, the offense instead of the defense. There is a prevailing that's happening, but, but Satan's kingdom is not the one who's prevailing. The ecclesia prevails when the church knows who she is and is living like it. So we need upgrades in our belief of the church. We need upgrades in our belief of who God knows the church is. We need upgrades in our confession about the church and to one another to lift us up. To to know that that God like he believes in us. He believes in this thing he calls the church. He doesn't just believe in it, he's building it. He's he's, he's giving victory to the church. We're not, we're not in just victory over the enemy attacking me and I endure it. Like, yeah, that happens. But actually, he wants, to, he wants to get us out of the position of just holding our shield up and just trying to make it through. Like, he's, he's actually he's calling us up. And together, we can actually we can rise. Together. He's not calling individuals to go out and try to bind and rebuke principalities and demons. And, and, and regional spirits as individuals. No, it's actually the church. It's the church. There, there's, there's safety in the numbers. There's covering that God himself puts on it, and it's powerful, and it's dangerous out there, guys. Did you guys hear me? We get to advance God's kingdom. And my next message, guess what? It's still in this passage, if, unless God changes this, because I still have to talk about the keys of the kingdom and the binding and the loosing. Just remember, it's in the context of the church. 
Why don't you guys stand with me? I always run out of time. I always have so many awesome things I want to do. <laughs> but I need to let you guys get to Shoney's, so. <laughs> An upgrade from Shoney's. All right. Texas Roadhouse, it is. Okay. <laughs> hmm. I, I, I think that the most important thing that we can do right now is, is pray together for a moment. And I, I think that we need to pray for the church. I'm talking about the universal church. Pray that God will release the spirit of revelation across his church to reveal how utterly important the church is, how utterly powerful the church is, and how much God needs the church to rise up in full form so that we can do everything that God has planned for us to do before he comes back. So why don't we take a moment, and if you've got a prayer language, you can start praying in it, but just start however you pray, whether it's in the spirit or, or with your own language, whatever it is. Just start talking to the Lord and just asking him whatever, whatever you feel like you need to for him to open the eyes, because what we need is the church to get a powerful, positive self-view of itself so that we can rise up into who we are. So let's, why don't you guys just take a moment and just start praying into that for a minute. And maybe get a little louder. Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you will strengthen the body of Christ around the world, and especially right here in America. Lord, that you will, that you will strengthen our, our understanding of who we are, Lord, as the church, not just individuals, but the church, Lord, that we can see who we are and we can shift into who you, who you need us to be, that you would make us to rise up in great power, great unity. Pray, Lord God, for outpourings of the Holy Spirit right here in Overflow Church. Pray for outpourings of the Holy Spirit for all the churches in this region right here. Lord, I pray that you will come and move. I pray that you will bring the kingdom of heaven into our midst. Help us, Lord, to, to see the gold in the church and not the dirt, Lord God, that we'll call it out and we'll prophesy edifying words, Lord, over the body in the name of Jesus, Lord. And I, I, pray that, I pray that anybody who has a, a, a bad heart towards the church, towards your church, that you'll do a work in the heart, Lord, for, for forgiveness or repentance or whatever it needs to be, but a shifting yeah, and if you guys can also join me, I felt like we need to pray for prodigals, people who have actually left Jesus and or left his church, that we pray for them, that God will open their eyes 
and that he'll heal their hearts because a lot of people left because of legitimate wounds and they just didn't know how to manage them. But if you guys can just take a moment and pray for people who have left the Lord and his ways, uh, we, we want to call those prodigals home. God, we, we just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will minister to the, to the prodigals, Lord, the people who have, who have ran from you or ran from your church. Lord, if they've been wounded, Lord, I, I just pray that you'll, that you'll show them that, that you did not wound them and that you'll show them the way to healing. And, and Lord, that your way to healing always has to do with reconciliation, and forgiveness. And I pray you'll, I just pray, Lord, for all the masses of prodigals, Lord, that you'll minister to them and draw them back to your church. And I pray that you'll help the church be prepared to love them well, to love them well and receive them well. Lord, we want to see a revival of prodigals coming back to you, Lord God, backslidden people coming back to you, Lord, a revival. Call your people back home in Jesus' name. And Lord, for all the family members and loved ones that are represented in this room right now, that they, they may have prodigals that they love, Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'll send angels to them right now in Jesus' name to minister to their hearts. Holy Spirit, go minister to their hearts. <clears throat> I ask you to open their eyes and their hearts to be able to see that Jesus is the only way. And Lord, that you will show them how much you love them, Lord. You are a good father and you love them. And you want to lavish them with your love. Lord, they don't have to come back into religion. Lord, they just need to come back into the family. Lord, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bless these people in here right now in Jesus' name. Amen.